We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit robblack.com. Robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. One of my bosses in radio. I would say, happy Friday. And he'd say, I've never met a bad one. Well, today you're going to meet a bad one if you're on Wall Street, because we started the week with the NASDAQ winning eight weeks in a row. That's two months in a row. The S&P 500 was on a five-week win streak. Um, we've given some back this week. Normal, healthy, expected, desired, wanted. In my book. Yesterday, we had a little bit of a snapback rally after two days of selling. I liked seeing it um, because it's showing that it's not going to go straight up, straight down. I don't want to say there's a little fight in it. That's not quite where I'm going. For the year, the Nasdaq's up 30.2% year to date. The S&P 500's up 14.1. The Russell 2000 up 4.9. The S&P mid-cap 400 up 4.7. I would like to see the Russell 2000 and the S&P mid-cap do what the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 have done in the second half of the year. No, no, no. How do I say this? I want the Russell 2000 and the S&P mid-cap 400 to play a little catch-up in the back half of the year because the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 are thumping them so much in the first half of the year. I think we are slipping into an expansion. The word slip is negative connotation. Expansion is positive. I do not think we are slipping into a recession at this time. Bank of England's decision to raise interest rates by 50 basis points and bring borrowing costs to 5%. The UK has got inflation way worse than we do. We're in a pretty good position. But it's going to take longer to fight inflation. It's not going to be, oh, we're done in 15 months. Typically, when we started, I told you it was going to be 18 to 36 months. Um, so it's still still a process, still a process. But the market's already starting to look ahead. And that's, that's not bad. It's a little overly optimistic. Turkey Central Bank raised interest rates by 650 basis points to 15%. <laughs> Talking about, wow. Strangely, that was less than expected. They have wild inflation. Turkey hit a two-decade high of 85.5% in October. Turkey's the country, not Turkey, gobble, gobble. Inflation numbers hit a two-decade high of 85.5% year over year. Now, it's pretty, uh, pretty jumping around, but it's not good. At one point in time, it dropped to 40% in May. So it's bouncing. I would not want to live there. 
Uh, what else do we have to hit as far as headline news? Earnings on deck. Uh, Carmax had a nice quarter. Real nice quarter. Homeowners now have less equity than they did a year ago. The average the average equity per borrower slipped 1.9% in the first quarter compared to the same period last year. It's the first annual decline since 2012. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. I know you're saying, the value of my home went down. That's bad. Um, it went out for 10 years in a row. Pigs get slaughtered. Give some back. <clears throat> Short sellers are betting more than $1 trillion against U.S. stocks. Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Amazon all have over a trillion dollars bet against them as a group. Now, that's good news and bad news because people have already sold the stock lower. They're going to have to buy the stock at some point. Market's made up of buyers and sellers. So I'm telling you how Wall Street works. Um, You don't want 15 years of an up market. You don't want... You know, the first half of the year, just the NASDAQ, the SP 500 to win. You want the Russell 2000 S&P mid-cap 400 to play along, too. If you listen to the show long enough, you'll become a better investor. Warren Buffett just donated about $5 billion worth of Berkshire Hathaway shares. Now, what did he really donate? I think he donated about $5 billion of Apple shares. Berkshire Hathaway is moving like Apple because they it's their largest position. So just know that, okay? A couple weeks ago, I said I wanted to buy some uh, for my kids, uh, one share each of Berkshire Hathaway. Or maybe I'll go cheap and buy Berkshire B shares. Give it to them a gift when they finish college, something like that, right? To tell them, hold it for your life. Then I, I thought about it. I was like, all I'm buying them is shares of Apple, and I'm over-concentrated in Apple. Microsoft's cloud boss faces tough questions about pay and low morale. Microsoft employees blast the company's decision to pause pay raises and cut bonuses and stock awards ahead of a big cloud meeting. CEO Satya Nadella, he notified employees that the company was halting raises and cutting budgets for bonuses and stock awards, while Chief People Officer Kathleen Hogan told managers to give fewer employees exceptional rewards. Tech is getting tight. After years of being too loose, they're over-tightening. That's good for shares, not necessarily good for the company long-term. EA's FIFA video game um, is losing that branding this year. The soccer series is a big revenue driver, but the next game won't have that branding um, FIFA angle to it. I guess the, the lesson that I want you to learn there is that if you own an Xbox or a PlayStation and you're from around the world. The most popular game is soccer and soccer has a heading group named FIFA. Um, and they license players and they, they make money on every match because in the, the, they're in the licensing business. Um, they set standards, they set reviews, things like that. You get, you get the idea. How important is the brand to EA do people love soccer worldwide or do they love FIFA soccer? Tesla's most important um, moments. I think one of them happened in the last two weeks when basically every car company, not every car company, Ford, GM, and Rivian have all decided to use their charging standards, their charging wands. 
That's huge. You can look at the Cybertruck and say, oh, I can't wait for that. But I tend to agree with the CEO of Ford. Serious truck buyers are not buying the Cybertruck to haul stuff. So maybe we see things differently. I'm just throwing that down there in case I could be helpful for you. Big event coming up this weekend. Heinz and Portfolios in San Carlos. Um, it's kind of got a rolling sign up because it's it's intimate. It's a chance to meet with me and a CFP and we'll answer all your financial questions for a couple hours. Um, I'll tell you some stories about TV, about radio, about some best investments I've ever made, some of the best investments I've made recently. You have to have an account of $500,000 or more. It's a portfolio review. So if you're 50, 55, 60, 65, this is ideal for you uh, because time is running out for planning your retirement and talking with the CFP before you hire a CFP is really, really useful. Plus, he's going to take all your data and punch it in and give you basically a, 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 a here you go. Here's where you stand. Here's where you're missing a lot. Here's where you're doing well. You can sign up for the event and know, learn the location today at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more content, insights, tips, hints, and tricks on Wall Street. I'm Rob Black. Join Rob Black in San Carlos Sunday, June 25th for Pints and Portfolios, a less formal event at a local watering hole for those close to retirement with 500000 or more in investable assets. Drop by Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4 for a little sunshine, some financial chit-chat, and a complimentary portfolio review or financial snapshot from Ryan Ignacio, CFP from EP Wealth Advisors. Whether you're on the road to retirement or already there, this financial snapshot can provide you with a second opinion analysis of where you are and highlight areas for improvement and opportunities for growth. Go to robblackshow.com and click the events tab. Find Pints and Portfolios and click to register. You'll answer a few simple questions about your situation and your confirmation email will provide all the details on the event and how to schedule your portfolio review. Space is limited and registration is required, so go to robblackshow.com today. That's robblackshow.com. Had an interesting conversation with my son about the Titanic tourist sub. Now that that drama is over. And, uh... Talked about the value of life and I don't do extreme sports. No interest. I don't look for extreme tourism. No interest. I have a friend who will get in a helicopter and fly to the top of the mountain in winter conditions. so he can get the best ski of his life. For me, that's not my thing. We're all different human beings. The adventure tourism industry is expected to skyrocket from 322 billion in 2022 to more than one trillion in 2023. Popular destinations so far that I figured out for extreme tourists are the Titanic, Mount Everest, the South Pole, and of course space. Um, the Virgin Galactics, if they want to do uh, space tourism, even if it's not quite space tourism, uh, SpaceX wants to send you up and orbit the Earth. Virgin Galactic wants to send you up in a fancy airplane that gets you like five minutes of, of weightlessness. Um, <laughs> I think the cooler one sounds like SpaceX, right? But uh, long story short, 12 people have already died this year trying to climb Mount Everest. Five are still missing, fueling critics' calls for the adventure industry to receive more government oversight. 
Um, I always had a feeling like if I was in a, a post-apocalyptic world like Mad Max, that I would be the smart leader of a city. And I'd be the first one to be killed by the villain. Like when they start shooting arrows and it would take me out first. And the good looking action star would be there to take over the tribe from me. So I don't feel like I have a lot of good luck <clears throat> when it comes to extreme things. Disposable vapes are booming. Um, refillable e-cigarettes are taking over the U.S. vape market. Disposable markets shares surged from 24.7%. To almost 52% by December 2022. Um, and what's crazy is the, the vaping crackdown, it's like playing whack-a-mole. Our government sees something over here. Oh, candy-flavored cigarettes. Let's go after it. And then it's like disposable where you can just you know smoke it and drop it on the ground. Um, it's whack-a-mole. I don't know if we can fix that one, right? Doesn't it feel like whack-a-mole? does to me because kids will be kids. And uh, once the genie's out of the bottle, it's tough to put it back in. 800-516-1220 if you want to call the show. Let's keep going on. Uh, Ford secured a $9.2 billion loan from the Department of Energy to build EV battery factories. It's one of the largest loans of its kind ever. My favorite quote this week was the CEO of Ford talking about the Tesla cyber uh, Cybertruck and saying, that Cybertruck's for... Silicon Valley types could not agree more, but it doesn't mean it's not going to sell well. Pick it up when I'm putting it down. Winning streak is going to end this week on the S&P and the NASDAQ. Currently, um, things are looking like a little profit taking. The Fed did not work with us this week when they Jerome uh, Powell testified on Congress in front of Congress on Capitol Hill. He went out of his way to say, look, I'm going to raise rates two more times and I'm going to get inflation down to 2%. Now, do we believe it? Or is it an implied threat that he doesn't have to follow through on? Wall Street last week was betting. It was an implied threat that he does have to follow through on. This week is feeling more like, well, he's kind of painted himself into a uh, corner. There are only three sectors that are outperforming the S&P 500 this year. Information tech is up 39.6%. The S&P 500 has 10 subsectors. Technology is one. Communication services up 35.4%. And consumer discretionary up 30.6%. So the other seven sectors are underperforming the total returns of the S&P 500. The market needs to broaden out. If you believe my thesis that we're slipping into an expansion or you need to get out of the consumer discretionary, consumer services, communication services and information tech, if you believe a hard landing is coming. It's not that simple, but it's pretty much so that black and white to me. And you can guess that Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA and Alphabet, Meta, Tesla and Amazon are all housed in the uh, sectors that are winning. CarMax is doing well today. They had a much better than expected first quarter earnings report. Another mover of note is Dow Component 3M. Remember how I talked about 3M earlier this week and saying it's got a 100-year history. And they've been raising dividends for 60 years, but they have two really big, two really big legal uh, cases pending against them. 
I would own shares of 3M, but I don't. I probably do in an index somewhere. Um, but I don't own them directly if they didn't have these two big lawsuits. Well, guess what? It's moving higher today because they announced a settlement in the forever chemicals matter that calls for the contribution of up to a present value of $10.3 billion payable over 13 years. So that's a winner for them. Now they got one more lawsuit that they got to get through. And then you'll go, oh, they have plenty of cash to pay their dividend. It's a dividend stock. You don't own 3M because they're going to be suddenly like uh, cloud 3M or AI 3M. You own 3M because they're a boring company who sells lots of little products that make lots of little cash. And with that cash, they give it back to their shareholders. And if you're a widow and you don't have a job and your husband's passed or you're an orphan and you don't have parents who earn money, it's a great stock for you in history. Widows and orphans need income. Okay, the retail industry's biggest problem right now. Another hint and tip for you. You're hearing more and more about it on financial media. Shrink or merchandise stuff. Now, retail chains are at peak cycle, in my opinion, of what is a cyclical trend. The impact of shrink will turn from a headwind to a tailwind later this year and into next year. It'll boost profitability for a variety of retailers, companies like Target, Walmart, Dollar General, Dollar Tree, and others for several quarters have been talking about shrink in the most recent quarter. Target estimated it would lose $500 million in profits this year to shrink. Now, here's the trick. Target, Walmart, Dollar General, Dollar Tree, Home Depot, Ulta, and Kroger, they're all going to benefit from lowering shrink levels because what's happening right now, shrink is very similar to occupancy, utilities, and other uh, such areas. Companies uh, learn that they're having problems and their job is to maximize financial, uh, financial results, profits. They look for solutions. When it's in the headlines, they're looking for solutions. And retailers on average saw a 26.5% increase in organized retail crime. So it's out there. The board of directors know this. So now what happens is the fast deployment of initiatives, initiatives like curbside pickup create more opportunities for slippage and shrinkage. Retailers have been pumping new investments in technology when addressing their plans to tackle shrink. This should benefit the retailers as when we're talking about it, that means it's being addressed already. You got to think as a contrarian if you're going to be a successful investor. Big event coming up this weekend, Pints and Portfolio in San Carlos, Sunday 1 to 4. Sign up at robblackshow.com. Don't want to work forever? Check out the retirement planning guide on robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. Let's do a Mythbusters, shall we? Real estate. Some people think it's the best investment they've ever made. I think it's the best liability you've undertaken. But it is that a liability. And you should know that. Buying a home is got so many negatives in it. There's an easier way to buy real estate. I'm going to tell you at the end of this um, spot. If you buy a home, you're paying 12% in brokerage fees often. You're paying 10% in maintenance fees. You're paying 20% in property taxes. You're paying 70% in interest over the life of that loan. Um, And the maintenance fees and the property taxes are kind of the secret gotchas. 
the interest you're paying on taking out a loan for $550,000 is one of the lines. Well, I don't have the money. It's other people's money. It's your money. It's your debt. It's your liability. Um, now, again, I'm not knocking home ownership. Um, I'm fine in a multifamily home. Fine with it. But I'm not all that crazy about throwing money into investment properties unless it's cash flowing. I think the best way to own real estate is through what um, your your own single family home is fine. But I don't want you acquiring 10, 20, 30 units after that. I want you to acquire one thing, one thing only, publicly traded REITs. We're called real estate investment trusts. My producer, he is a young man. He owns a little Bitcoin. I'm like, why don't you own a REIT? It's a real estate investment trust. That would means you would own real estate that someone else manages that has a board of directors that has a, a in it every intention of being good to their shareholders and fiscally responsible, which is way better than say me going out and buying 10 units. I'd much rather have a real estate investment trust go out and buy 10 units. It was basically a tax standard adopted by Congress to put together trusts so that wealthy people in America who didn't want to be just exposed to stocks and bonds, they were able to get another asset, real estate, without actually having to go out and get 30-year mortgages, where if you don't pay, you go bankrupt. Now, right now, real estate investment trusts have some heat on them because there's all sorts of real estate investment trusts. Okay, so... One more thing about the 1960s in Congress. It allows corporations who are REITs to basically skip on corporate taxes if they're sharing 80 to 90% of the profits with shareholders. It's all professionally managed, plus you get the asset of the real estate. You just don't get the headache of having to put it in renters. They do it for you. There's a couple types of REITs. There's mortgage-backed REITs where you're just buying the mortgages. That are being serviced. And there's um, ones that are pro- property driven. And the property driven ones could be like um, auto malls. It could be a group of hospitals. It could be a group of oncology centers. It could be office property. It could be storage units. Or uh, what's one of the big famous ones? Um, warehouses. Someone pays rent on all that stuff. And typically it's through a publicly traded real estate investment trust. I use REITs for income, especially in retirement. Um, They're a little bit more generous than, say, corporate bond. Uh, Now, again, there's different levels of REITs risk. There's different levels of uh, corporate bond risks. The higher the risk, the more payout you get. But the more payout you get, the more volatility in the underlying asset you should expect. I I would be thrilled if my kids came to me at 25 years old and said, you know, dad, I own Microsoft and Apple, but I also bought a REIT. I'd be like, you're diversifying. You're doing a good job. In theory, REITs are non-correlated assets to the stock market. So just because stock market is in a bullish frenzy, all small caps, large caps, mid cap stocks can go higher. Uh, REITs can go lower. They can have a lack of interest. But I think you're going to learn more and more. I do not like private REITs. I like publicly traded REITs. Best way of owning real estate outside of your single family home, in my opinion. And I think I'm probably worth more than you. And I think I've been doing this longer than you. And I think I do this every single day. 
Knowing it down for you. I'm not trying to be um, cocky. I know you can beat me at so many things. I know it. Um, there's a Fidelity Fund that got a pretty interesting uh, write-up the other day. Um, and it was funny because it was comparing itself. It wasn't comparing itself. The author was comparing uh, the fund to... Uh, Kathy Wood's ARC funds, where she goes after cutting edge technology. The Fidelity Blue Chip Fund goes after blue chip stocks. Fidelity ETF is a tiny compared to the ARC Innovation Fund. It only has $564 million in assets. ARC Innovation with Kathy Wood has $8.1 billion in assets. But the Fidelity's top 10 holdings overlap with ARC Innovation. Tesla's one of their holdings. Apple as well as Microsoft. Blue chip companies. Alphabet and NVIDIA. Now, Wood, on the other hand, has to some has to venture out into names like Roku and Zoom and uh, user interface path, UiPath, that bring down her performance. So blue chip stocks are outperforming hot tech stocks. <clears throat> and right now you think of Kathy Wood is hot tech stocks. Yes, because she does have the names of Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Amazon, Meta, Tesla, Marvel, Uber, and Netflix. That's a who's who. That is a who's who of tech stocks. That's Fidelity Blue Chip's top 10 stocks, top 10 holdings. Um, and would I jump in now? I would only scale in. Those are all great names, but they've all had great years. And I'm not putting a short-term bet as an investor. I'm putting a long-term investment as a better. Some of these names are up egregiously this year. Tesla's up 114%. Google's up 40%. Amazon's up 54%. At my last Pints and Portfolio, I um, talked about uh, to the, the group that showed up. Um, and it was kind of like an informal investing class. Um, with beer. It's kind of fun. Um, I talked about some of the stocks that I'm buying. And, you know, there are names like I own big positions in Apple and Microsoft to the point that I have now to do covered call strategies on. So I need to shrink those positions in my life so I can get access to the capital and spend some of that as well as invested in other areas. So I'm doing covered call strategies of which haven't been triggered on one yet. Um, so I'm doing really well. So I'm getting paid to give someone else the right. Now, NVIDIA was a big investment last year. We talked about it here on the show. We talked about AI last uh, Pints and Portfolio. We'll probably talk about it again. I'm going to talk about the companies that I'm currently buying and why. Uh, but on top of that, we're going to give you a free complimentary portfolio review. Um, I'm going to open up this this Pints and Portfolio portfolio review later in the year to five people per month who don't live in the Bay Area, who can't come for a beer and talk about portfolios. And uh, maybe I'll set it up as a Zoom call where, uh, you know, all five of us log in and just have a quick Zoom meeting and everyone brings their own beer, whether you're in Connecticut or Europe. I think it's a fun idea. Uh, I want to be more social because my spouse is out of town this weekend and she took one of my two boys. I've got the other boy. He's got soccer that he's got a big birthday bash. His friend's moving tomorrow. I'm all by myself. 
And I don't have that many friends. You're my friend. So sad. Anyhow, big event coming up this weekend. Pints and Portfolio, Sunday 1 to 4 in Palo Alto. Not Palo Alto, San Carlos. I'll probably only do it 1 to 3. Because right now we got about five people signed up and two people won't show up. So it's very, very informal. But it's all about the portfolio review. Anyhow, I'm going to keep doing them and see if they stick and or don't stick. And I'm going to try the online version as well later this year. Anyhow, let's talk about some other thoughts out there. The market's hitting all time. No, no, no. Mm. The market rally is hitting yearly highs. And it's nice to see. Um, I think next year we should have a broadening out of the markets. I'm not going to promise it in the next three to six months. I think that would be silly because the next three to six months, we're going to be watching inflation numbers. And as we've seen inflation in Canada, they were coming down, coming down, coming down, and they spike back up. That could happen again. They don't go in a straight line. I think tackling inflation typically takes 18 to 36 months. We're not even at 18 months yet. We're close, but we're not there. I think we're in month 15 or 16. Um, so we got to give it a little bit more time. And I'm just being honest with you. I like where we are. We're slipping into an expansion. Profits are holding up. In some cases, they're actually building. We have not seen large-scale uh, people being let go. We're going to be looking the two most important economic data pieces, in my opinion. And there's a little bit of, of, of wiggle room here. Ultimately, the CPI and the unemployment numbers or the employment numbers that come out on the first Friday of the month. Um, the employment numbers, if we have a job, we spend money. If we spend money, we hold up our economy. And the CPI numbers, there's going to be some other things in there, like how much are we spending, how much of our paycheck is going up month over month, year over year. Um, I don't really care about the housing data, um, not for the short term of the market. We don't have enough houses, period. And that's going to keep housing prices sticky high. Um, I do think they would come down 10 to 20% if not for the incredible shortage of homes because homes have gone up 43% since the start of the pandemic. Too big of a gain there, but you can't give up those gains if you don't have sellers. And um, with high interest rates, people don't want to sell their home. And people that want a home, they're finding a way to get in and they're keeping prices high. Anyhow, this is the greatest financial show on earth. I appreciate you listening. I'm Rob Black. Sign up for the event Sunday in San Carlos, 1 to 4 at robblackshow.com. Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archived podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth certified financial planners online at robblackshow.com. It's the summertime and people are taking vacations. Credit card companies are telling us travel is a big big category this year um of note i'm stuck with one of my children i know you're not supposed to say that um i'm babysitting him so it's summertime he's got a little extra time on his hand a couple soccer camps things like that but he said something yesterday on the way to soccer he goes dad uh what do you think about cultivated chicken i'm like um what's cultivated chicken and it is exactly what you we talked about it it's basically lab grown meat and the cultured meat industry passed a key milestone in June 2023 when two companies, Good Meat and Upside Foods, received approval to begin the commercialization of their cultivated chicken products. Um, basically, it refers to meat products produced from lab-grown animal cells and is proposed as a solution for some of the environment and ethical issues associated with meat consumption. 
um, you might remember Beyond Meat and Incredible Burger. Um, that their stocks did really, really well until they did it. Still not quite there in um, vegetable-based proteins, uh, substitutes for meat. Would you eat cultured meat? I I would try it. <laughs> I know that sounds like, wow, you're going out on a limb there, Rob. Um, tastes just like chicken. Uh, we are a foodie nation. The U.S. is the second country to approve the sale of lab-grown meat after Singapore. After we do it, other countries tend to follow. There will probably be some investments here. I would be very cautious. Again, upside foods and eat just plan to bring the experimental meat to two high-end restaurants in D.C. and San Francisco. Um, growing portions, 150 plus companies have raised $3 billion to cultivate meat and seafood. Again, not use real animals. The industry was worth about 250 million in 2022. It's going to hit 25 billion by 2030. That's huge growth. That's, that's, that's what you're looking for. Um, but you're going to have to do a lot of research if you're going to play that game correctly. Let's move on. Um, let's, let's see. I wanted to get to one thing this week that I have not gotten to. Um, I was watching CNBC because it's kind of like um, tenth grade financial class. Like it's really not all that smart. And they, I hate how they talk options. And I hate, now again, I'm using a cover call strategy, so I know what they're talking about. You probably don't. Um, and I hate the guests that they have on regularly. I don't hate, I dislike. Um, but one of the big stories in the past couple of weeks, if you have a two and a half, three and a half percent mortgage, of which I do, I've got two of those, three of those. Um, it's an interesting debate. And it's something we need to talk about. Everyone's trapped in low interest rate mortgages. There's no inventory. Nobody's moving. Prices seem to go higher because of that. This will continue until interest rates decline, which will release a flood of houses back on the market. Um, who, who would have guessed interest rates two years ago when I bought the home that I'm sitting in now? I would get the mortgage for in the twos, 2.6%. Who would have ever have thought that? And that if today I bought it, it would be 7.5%. Nothing's changed with my income. Nothing's changed with my credit score. It would be a much less affordable mortgage payment. So no one predicted this. That's why making predictions on asset classes is something that's dangerous. It's something that's not easy. Now, again, with high interest rates, with low inventory, don't expect prices to fall 10 to 20%. But when interest rates fall from... Six and a half percent to five and a half percent on mortgages expect prices to fall. There's a lot of ways to value a house, but one way to value it is a sum of the parts valuation. The value of the lumber, the nails, the copper, the ductwork, the cement, the wood pizza oven that you got installed during COVID. All those inputs, as they're called, have a cost associated with them. All of those inputs are close to all-time highs. But you know what else is? 
my income. You know what else is? My stock portfolio. There's trillions, trillions of dollars of cash. Now we're using some of it as consumers. Our savings are starting to be eaten into. But I'm still ultimately constructive. Out of the range of possible assets you could buy in an inflationary environment, real estate is pretty close to the top. Um, if 10-year interest rates were to rise to 6%, you'd probably see a decline in housing values. So as the 10-year interest rate climbs to 3.5%, to 4%, to 4 and a quarter, to 5 that's going to continue to put pressure if you believe we're in that cycle right now. Um, it's really interesting. A couple of phrases that I've heard this week. Um, don't forget about bonds. Don't forget about bonds. Um, as people are looking, where do I put money? Uh, in a market that's raced up on them. Professionals are looking at bonds. Economic data has been deteriorating ever so slightly. Um, I don't know. I don't want to get too much into the next two months. But again, the key indicators I'm going to be looking at are CPI, inflation numbers, any type of inflation numbers, and jobs numbers. Because we're just not seeing the jobs going south yet. And you know what? There's going to be a problem. A bigger problem in the next 12 months to 18 months is going to be hiring enough people to fill the jobs. That's turning into a real problem in the United States, especially for small businesses. A lot of small business owners are finding hey, I got to go to my Subway shop and make subs because I can't find a teenager to do it for me. Um, we have a big problem with employment in the United States. One of the reasons we need to work on immigration reform so we can get more people who want low-paying jobs or entry-level jobs to come to our country. Um, we need the labor. We need the labor. That's as big of a problem as unemployment. We need people to work, to come to the country to work or to fill the jobs that aren't being filled. I'm Rob Black. Big event this weekend, San Carlos. Sign up at robblackshow.com. Join Rob Black in San Carlos Sunday, June 25th for Pints and Portfolios, a less formal event at a local watering hole for those close to retirement with 500000 or more in investable assets. Drop by Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4 for a little sunshine, some financial chit-chat, and a complimentary portfolio review or financial snapshot from Ryan Ignacio, CFP from EP Wealth Advisors. Whether you're on the road to retirement or already there, this financial snapshot can provide you with a second opinion analysis of where you are and highlight areas for improvement and opportunities for growth. Go to robblackshow.com and click the events tab. Find Pints and Portfolios and click to register. You'll answer a few simple questions about your situation and your confirmation email will provide all the details on the event and how to schedule your portfolio review. Space is limited and registration is required, so go to robblackshow.com today. That's robblackshow.com.